Rebbe that any time I have a major decision in my life uh, to discuss, I have a Rebbe that I go to, Ramon Willard. He's my Rebbe on, on everything, and the fact that uh, I have a Rebbe is, to my mind, one of the greatest lifts and supports that I had. And there, there are plenty of Rebbeim for everybody, uh, you know, to get us. I think that's point number one. The second point, which is going to be a common theme of what I'm going to speak about in responding to a lot of the questions, uh, is this idea that uh, is Shiv and Panam La Torah. And there's a lot of different ways to look at Torah, and there's no one way. And sometimes when people ask questions, you know, they'll ask, is this right or is that right? People have to realize that, that there's no way. And, and, and Berg and I share um, a very similar outlook on many, many issues, but there might be some issues that Berg and I don't exactly have the exact same perspective on. You know, my oldest son, uh, his, 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 uh, Kedushin was Rivera Gershenfeld. My second son, his Masonic Kedushin would be Rav, Rav Rosenzweig. My third son, if I had to guess, is probably going to be Rav Mayor Tversky. He's very close to him. My fourth son has a different Rebbe, maybe Rav Stav, somebody else. So there's so many different, different Rebbe and people have different opinions. It's Shivan Panam Latoris. I think it's important, you know, probably Rav Berg and I will come pretty close or maybe agree on everything, but we might we not even agree on something. That's okay also because... We may have slightly different perspectives. So, uh, with that, with that, with those brief introductions, um, I, I'll, I'll begin. Um, this is a very personal question for me. I will tell you because um, because when I was your age, when I was people on this on this uh, Zoom, when I was your age, this very very question bothered me very 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 much. And an issue that I was going through that my wife and I had been married for a, a period of time, and Hashem had decided not to bless us with children at that particular time. And, um, and I was pouring out my heart in prayer to the Rabboni Shalom, asking him to, um, to, to bless us with children. And uh, I was in Eretz Yisrael, um, and I wrote a, a long, uh, I wrote probably like a 12 or 13 page letter to my Rebbe, to Mordechai Willig, asking him this question. Like saying, like, did I really have to like be pouring out my heart in, in Shimon Like, but I, I felt like I was bothering the Rabboni Shalom too much. I was like pouring out my heart. I was like, beating him up over, you know, over this, like, if Hashem thought that I deserved to have kids, he'd probably give me kids. If you didn't, if you didn't think I deserved to have kids, then maybe that wasn't the right thing for me. So what am I going so crazy about? So it's a very personal kind of a question for me. And Rav Willig answered me at the time, two answers, the two standard answers to this question, I think, um, and I, I'd like to share them with you. The first is the Sefer Ikram, Rav Yosef Albo writes in the Sefer Ikram, he, he's, he asked this question. And the answer basically is, is that um, even though a person might be on a certain level, let's say, let's say a person's asking for, he doesn't want to get sick. He doesn't want to get sick from this virus. Please, Hashem, don't make me sick from the virus. So maybe, maybe a person's not on the madriga, not on the level that he really deserves that protection. But through davening and through realizing that it's Hashem who makes a person sick and doesn't, through davening, you can actually elevate yourself to a different status and that you will merit that blessing that you didn't merit prior to davening. Davening is one of those ways that you elevate yourself to that status. And, and by appreciating the fact that you realize that Hashem is the one who's the rofei cholim, the one who decides, so, 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 so you can bring yourself up, even though, you, even though you're not worthy of it. So let's say Hashem decided I wasn't supposed to have kids. But through davening, it could be through the tefillah, realizing that Hashem is the one who gives those gifts. The more I realize it, the more I make myself worthy, and Hashem actually rewards me that gift. That's A. The Gemara in Nida, I think it's around Daf Ayin, uh, has a slightly, the very end of Nida, has a little bit of a different approach on this, and that's the second approach that I would share, which is the Gemara says, if a person wants a particular bracha, what should he do? You have to do two things. You have to do ishtadlis, you have to try to get the bracha, and the other thing you have to do is tefillah. You have to pray for it. So the Mashmos, the impression of that Gemara is, is that it could be that you actually are worthy of this blessing. Maybe 
maybe you are worthy that the pandemic won't won't get you. But you have to daven for it anyway. Even if you're raw for it, even if you're worthy for a particular bracha, you have to daven for it anyway because Hashem just set the world up in this way that there's all kinds of brachos ready for people and you have to daven for them. Just that's the key to get the bracha. You deserve it, but you may not get it even if you do deserve it just because you have to daven for it because there's a key. Hashem made the world in a way that davening is the key that opens up the floodgates of the person even if you do deserve it. So those would be my two perspectives. I guess the... The second half of, uh, you know, maybe I spoke already enough. There's more to say about the second half of the Kavanah, but maybe we'll let Rabbi Berg have an opportunity to respond. First of all, I want to echo the Rosh Hashiva's comments to thank David and Shlomo for putting this together. And it's certainly an honor and a privilege to be on a panel with Rabbi Kamenetsky. And to be called a Yedid Nefesh of Rabbi Kamenetsky is a, perhaps a lifelong dream. It's a tremendous schus. And uh, it's certainly a, a relationship that Baruch Hashem I've been privileged to be a part of. With regards to the question, I, I think I can only add something small. The word palel is actually the word to imagine. In the Torah, when Yosef and Yaakov come together after being separated for so many years, Yaakov says, I was never palel that I would see you again. I never imagined that I would see you again. And so the Rebbeinu Shalom gives us the opportunity to imagine the world as it ought to be every single day. Chazan is from a lashon of Chazon, to have a vision. We have a visionary that leads us in a collective imagination. And we do that as a community. Now we don't know why anything happens. It's not our place to speculate and to say it happened because of this Avera and it happened because of that Avera, perhaps in the times of the Nevi'im, perhaps in the times of the Anshei Knesset Sagadola, in the times of Chazal, they could do such a thing today. We're not capable of doing something like that. But for whatever reason, the Rebbe Shalom brought a Magaifa into the world. Now it's our opportunity to respond. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us not to be satisfied with the world as it currently is. So when we see a person who's poor, it's our responsibility to get involved. And we should daven every single day that everybody should have parnasa. We imagine a world where everybody is taken care of. One of my favorite ideas from Rav Soloveitchik that's brought down in Rabbi Sachs's book is it says, Nar hayisi gam zakanti velo raisi tzadik neza v'zar lachem. I was young and I was old and I never saw a righteous man go hungry and his children didn't have bread to eat. Asks Rav Soloveitchik, how could that be? We see that righteous people suffer all of the time. How could we say that we've never seen a righteous person suffer and his children went hungry? Says Rav Soloveitchik, you're translating the word Raisi wrong. It's Nar Hayisi Gam Zakanti. I was young and I was old, Velo Raisi, and I never stood by and watched as a righteous man went hungry and his children didn't have bread to eat. So when the Rabbanu Shalom brings things into the world that are not the way the world is supposed to be, it's not calibrated, people are dying, people are sick, people don't have food to eat, whatever it is, it's our obligation to get involved. And as part of getting involved, we have to daven. And we have to beseech HaKadosh Baruch Hu to change the world to be the way that it will ultimately be in the state of Yemos HaMashiach and ultimately in Olam Abba. With regards to the question of is it worth it to daven if we don't have Kavana? So the answer is what do you mean when you say Kavana? If you mean is it worth it to daven if you don't have Kavana, meaning you don't have Kavana on every single word, so then it's certainly still worth it to daven, even though the Rambam is very critical of such a person, and the Rambam says it's kemi she'eno mispalel. 
Okay, but nevertheless, we're all in process. We're all working towards something. Ideally, we want to get to a basic state of kavana. However, there is a more profound kavana that I think is something we can all have. Why do we daven? Because the Rabbani Shalom wants us to daven. Of course, there are many deep reasons for it behind every single mitzvah. But on a simple level, on a pashat level, for us, a person has to know that we daven because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to daven. And that's what it means to be in a relationship. I don't understand all the things that my wife wants me to do, but I do them because that's what she wants me to do. And that's what it means to be in a relationship. Sometimes it means to be mevatel yirdas. And so when we come to daven, even if we don't necessarily have all the kavana in the world, but a basic kavana we have, why are we here? Because the Eibishter wants us to be here. Is it the ideal level? Perhaps it's not the ideal level. But is it an important level? Is it a meaningful level? Is it something that will change the world? Is it something that will change us? The answer is absolutely yes. And of course, a person has to know that they're in process. I was talking with the Talmud today, a wonderful young man, and he was, we were talking about the ideal state of Yiddishkeit. And I said, you know, in 20 years, I could never have imagined that I would get here, and I imagine that in 20 years from now, I'll be somewhere completely different. We, it's hard to imagine the people that will become. So if a person right now feels like they're home, they're davening, but they're davening so quickly and it's basically not worth it, chas v'shalom to think that way. Never give up, never be miyayish, continue working on yourself, and you'll see it's a slow drip like Ravakiva on the rock. Continue to work on yourself, and Be'ezer Hashem, you'll get to a state where your davening is more meaningful, and Be'ezer Hashem, we could come together once again as a community to imagine the world the way it ought to be. Thank you so much, Rebeam. Um, so, uh, just uh, Shlomo Hershey is, is wanted to let me know to remind me to let everyone know this was sponsored um, by. Just want to mention the sponsors: Zichus Ashida for Yaakov Meir Ben Tova Rivka and Lulu Nishmas Tova Rivka Bas Moshe. And if you would like to make any further sponsorships for another Kol Torah Kula event, you can reach out to Kol Torah Kula on their website, and you could also follow them on social media. Um, the next question we got is about this new movement that started. Um, I don't know how new it is. I happen to not know so much about it, so I'm curious to hear what the Rebbeim want to say about this. Um, is for the Rebbeim's thoughts on neo-Hasidus and what people, and, and neo-Hasidim, what even is that? Some people want to know. So maybe Reb Berg wants to take it this time. We could snake the answers that way. I'm not sure what the label neo-Hasidus actually means. I think it's probably more descriptive of a community than a uh, methodology of thought. But I will share this. Um, in the last decade plus of my life, I've been privileged to have the opportunity to really learn a lot of Hasidus. Uh, my journey was a very interesting one because I personally started off in a yeshiva that was very anti the learning of Hasidus, a very wonderful yeshiva, a beautiful yeshiva. But ultimately, I did not stay in that yeshiva, and I went to learn by Rav Yehuda Parnas Shlita. And Rav Parnas and I became very close, Bar Hashem, I learned with him for eight years. And in that time, very early on in our relationship, Rav Parnas said to me, and again, it was one of the you know, formative moments in, in our relationship, and certainly something that impacted me very deeply, is he told me that he saw that his hashkafa wasn't doing it for me. I wasn't excited by the shmuzim that he was giving. Now the truth is that my Rebbe Shmuzin were very intellectual, they were very deep, they were very meaningful, but he was right. I found them meaningful, but I didn't necessarily find them inspiring. And my Rebbe encouraged me to start learning Hasidus. I had the opportunity to start listening to Shiurim from Rav Ephraim Waxman, 
from Rav Moshe Weinberger, and to start learning different Sifrei Chassidus. And primarily I started learning Tanya and Sichas from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I tried my hand at a couple of other Sifrei Chassidus. It, it didn't go in the same way. And then I found some beautiful Svarim over the years that really integrated uh, Hasidic ideas into them, and it was very inspirational for me. It was something that really changed the way that I saw my Yiddishkeit and changed the way that I served the Rabbanu Shalom. So for that, I'm very, very grateful. In terms of you know taking these things into yourself and, and really working on yourself, everyone has to know what's right for them. I could certainly not be able to tell a person, you should do this or you should do that. But if it's something that works for you, if it's something that inspires you, if it's something that brings you closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that gives you more passion and excitement in your Avodah Hashem, so why not go for it? Adarab, it could be the most beautiful thing in the world. Rishraga Feivel Mendelovich was criticized when he founded Tari Vadas. So he had Hasidish Rebbeim and he had Litvish Rebbeim, Rebbeim from the classic Lithuanian yeshiva world. And they said, you're making, a, you're making a cholent over here. People are going to get confused. They're going to have different ideas. It's going to be too complex for them. Since when does a Lithuanian yeshiva like Torah Vadas have chasidish rebeim in them? So Rishraga Feivel Mendelovich said a very beautiful marshal. He said, imagine a man who has two daughters. And the daughters, they get married to young men who are Baruch Hashem sitting and learning in Kail, and the father-in-law is supporting them. And so one of the husbands, he only eats meat. And the other husband, he only eats milk. So every day they would come to this father-in-law's house and they would sit at three separate tables. One table would be for fleshiks, one table would be for milchiks, and the parents would sit in between. Unfortunately, the father-in-law, he fell on hard times. And while he was still able to support his children, he was no longer able to provide separate meals. So they came the first day after the father-in-law announced that he's not going to be able to serve separate meals. And each one went to their individual table. And the father-in-law said, wait a second. When you were eating meat and I was eating milk and, and, we were, and we were in between, it made sense for us to be at three separate tables. But now that we're all eating the same food, we should sit at the same table. And Seder of Shagafayvel Mandelovich, the same thing is true by us. Perhaps in Europe, in the pre-Holocaust era where we had unbelievable G'daylim and unbelievable Hasidic masters and we were able to sit at some tables and sit and some other people sat at other tables, okay, but say there, everybody had their own derech. But today in America, where unfortunately we lost so many people in the Holocaust, so many great tzaddikim, and we're so impoverished, we should all sit at the same table. And I think that's true today as well. If a person finds something that inspires them, that's great, go for it. And we should all sit at the same table, those of us that are more interested in learning the classic Lithuanian yeshiva, musr, hashkafa, great. And if you're interested in learning Sifri Chassidus, amazing. Of course, there's some sort of rhetoric, I'm not exactly sure why it is, there's some sort of rhetoric that if you're into neo-Hasidus, then you don't learn Gemara, you just eat herring and go to mikvah and post things on Twitter. I'm not exactly sure where this comes from. I, I don't think that that's what the Baal Shem Tov had in mind. I think the Baal Shem Tov had in mind that a person should be learning and davening with passion, with excitement, a focus on simcha. And again, Be'ezer Hashem, we should all be zaycha to sit at the same table. Yeah, I'll just add, add one, or two, uh, one or two points. The Gemara says in Masechah Sanhedrin, that Hashem wants our heart in our service. Um, and uh, there are some people that think that Judaism is basically a, a book of do's and don'ts. And as long as I can protect myself and do the right things and not, not do the wrong things, so 
I'm a good Jew, I'm a great Jew. So the Gemara in Sanhedrin says that that's not entirely accurate. The Rahman Alibabai is, a, is an incredible story, which I'll just say very, very short from Ramosha from Ramos, Ramos Feinstein's father that Rav Avram Shor has in one of his svarim. It's one of the stories that's the most uh, 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 scary uh, stories, frankly, uh, for me. Um, I'll just give you the short version. Basically, Ramosha Feinstein's father was a rabbi in a community in Russia, and he was very friendly with another rabbi. He was the rabbi of the neighboring community. And um, the, they made a deal. They were good friends. They made a deal. Whoever gets up to the Olam HaMS first will come to the other one in a dream afterwards and tell them what life's like in the Olam HaMS. So sure enough, the other rabbi died first, and two weeks after he passed away, he came to Ramosha Feinstein's father in a dream. And he said to him, so Ramosha in the dream, his, his father asked, knew what's life like in the Olam HaMS. He says, well, I was judged on all the mitzvahs I say, and I pla- passed the judgment with flying colors. And I was judged on all the mitzvahs losas, say, and I passed that judgment with fine, flying colors. So Moshe Feinstein's father asked him, well, well, what else is there? I mean, so he says, but then they judged me on the Rahman Alibabai. They judged me on the heart and I failed that. And I'm getting punished horribly for the Rahman Alibabai. And um, so I do think that the quote unquote uh, neo-Hasidic movement that was referred to in the question addresses um, a certain uh, deficiency that many people uh, prior to the uh, coming of the general study of Hasidus or the popularization of the study of Hasidus or the proliferation of what's called neo-Hasidus, um, I, I think that that, 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 uh, that movement has, um, has filled a void uh, with people, as Ray Berg sort of just, uh, just, uh, just um, um, described a void that people have about serving Hashem with passion, serving Hashem with heart, uh, serving Hashem with your entire being, which is not something that's just reserved for the Hasidish world. The Gemara in Sanhedrin is, uh, is for everybody. It's Rahman Alibu, where Rosh Feinstein would not be described by anybody by, uh, uh, as a neo-Hasidic uh, master at all. Uh, he, was, he was the Gadol Ador by far. And yet, he, he was trying to explain that to have your heart your full heart in the service of Hashem, that's very, very important. What I think is sometimes a danger, uh, and some have, some have accused the neo-Hasidic movement of this danger, is sometimes if it's all about heart, and if there's only the heart, and if there's too much emphasis on the heart, so um, one might begin to push the limits of halacha, and, 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 and one might be able to say, well, if I feel like waking up at 11 o'clock in the morning or 12 to daven shachris, or I'm going to daven past the zman, or I'm going to be so excited in my avodah that I'm going to be, become lax in halacha. So I think that that could possibly be a challenge. And we have to look to our gedolim, to our, our, um, our tamid chacham and our tzaddikim to, to, to understand what's considered within the, the, the accepted um, pale of accepted normative halachic practice and what is outside of that pale. I'll just give you a, a very bad example, but uh, but it's but I think I think the bad example highlights highlights this this nuance of issue. So my Rebbe Ramordechai Willig holds, and maybe this will be controversial to the people sitting here, but that's okay. As I said, a little controversy is not so bad. But um, you know, in our yeshiva, we very much wanted to have a musical halal. We wanted to have halal together with um, with with instruments during the halal. And I asked Ramordechai Willig this question because, as I said before, I asked him all the questions, and Ramordechai was against it. I don't think he was against it on, on, on a level of halacha. He was against it, I think, because as a matter of public policy, he was against it 
because um, because uh, it's well known that the reform and conservative um, introduced an organ into the into the uh, into the uh, synagogue, and um, and he felt that as a matter of public policy, once you start doing that, it could bring uh, to many other changes or alterations in davening. And if you know Mordechai Will, he knows he's not very excited about about major changes and alterations in davening. That's his opinion on public policy. So that would be an example, but I, I certainly know that many, many people do this, and I'm, I'm not judging them. I'm not saying it's wrong at all. That, that's a very important part of the discussion over here. There could be nuances of difference, um, but, uh, but um, um, you know, my Rebbe advised us against it, and plenty of great Tamid Chachamim say there's no issue with it, but that would be an example of where this kind of question just, I just use that example as to show relief that Sometimes there has to be, uh, you know, give and take, and not everybody's going to agree on exactly where to draw the lines. But Be'iker, as Berg said, I just want to close also with this, and, and this is so, I think, also so important on this topic. Um, and, I, and I'll share a story. I have a n- number of stories about this, but, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers, Zichron Lavracha, was very, very famous for saying that when, in times of, of tragedy, of difficulty, look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. You know, I think we tend to live in a place where if everybody's not exactly like me, we tend to rank on people and, and look for the problems in people. We would do much better to look in the past. I'll just share with you. I was at a wedding yesterday and Rabbi Billet um, was the Masada Kedushin. And uh, I was the aide Tunayim and the aide Ksuba and the aide uh, Yichud and the aide Kedushin. And I got the seventh bracha and uh, it was one of those kinds of weddings. It was a very, very special wedding. And Rabbi Billet under the chuppah, he never speaks under the chuppah anywhere. But he said something under this couple with the 10 people who were there. And he quoted a story from Simon Wiesenthal about a certain uh, person who was, who was uh, freed from the Holocaust. And, um, and, and they made a minion. They, they were redeeming they, the people. They made a minion right when they were freed. And this certain Jew didn't want to take part in the minion. They asked him, why do you want to take part in the minion? He said, well, I was in Auschwitz and there was a rabbi who was giving out his sitter to people. And, and people were, 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 were sneaking, waking up four in the morning for a chance to use this sitter to daven. And I was so blown away, I was so moved. And then I found out that the rabbi was charging a quarter of the bread rations of the day for each person to, to, uh, to, to, to take the sitter. And I was so turned off by that. I said, if that's what Judaism is bad, then it's not for me. I'm not gonna dive with the minion. I think it was Simon Wiesenthal said to, this per- said to this person, he said, you fool, you idiot. Why are you looking at the one rabbi who didn't behave what about all the hundreds of Jews who were willing to give up a portion of the, a quarter of their bread rations in the in the Holocaust to be able to daven with the city? You're looking at the one person who was who was a nutcase, who was an idiot, who didn't who didn't who didn't who, who wanted to charge people the city. What about the hundreds of Jews? So I think that 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 especially during these times, instead of looking down on the things that we look we look at negative of this of this movement or that movement, and that's the answer to another question. Instead of saying, "Oh, these people are different than me, and how come they're doing that way?" Let's try to celebrate what's good about it, that, 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 that the neo Hasidus has brought to, 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 to Klausel such an awakening of, of excitement and passion of, of what we're in a lot of, a lot of sections of Yiddish guys. Are there, could there be some issues? There's issues, there's problems with every, every ask. Everybody has issues, everybody has challenges, but we should look for the good, look for the helpers, look for the positive in these things. Thank you so much, Ravan. That actually answers one of the questions where somebody asks, uh, I grew up learning that as Jews, we are brothers and sisters and so connected. But nowadays, there seems to be several sects of Judaism, like ultra-Orthodox, non-Orthodox, Mizrahi, etc. And they seem to collide in uh, some terms of hashkafos. How should one go about understanding this? Because that's what we try to do, what's right, and serve HaKadosh Baruch the way we are taught by our Rabbanim and our teachers. And I think that perfectly answers 
both that and thoughts on neo Hasidists, so that we should look in for the good that Rebbeim is trying to, uh, uh, I think, trying to say. If I, I want to add just one thing to that. Just, just add, to, to me, honestly, this is this issue, and I, I feel so incredibly passionate about this issue. I've been yelling and screaming about this issue for so long, I, I, honestly, since since I'm a little kid, this is the way I was brought up by my by my parents. But this this business about that's what that's what I started off with. This Shivan Panam La Torah. There are Hasidim. There's Babav. There's Sabmer. There's there's modern Orthodox. There's Yeshivish. There's Haredi. There's it's all beautiful as long as everybody is l'shem shamayim and everybody keeps tariag mitzvos. We shouldn't be looking down. To me, that's the whole godless. You can't read Parshas Vayichi. You can't read Parshas Vayichi and and not understand this idea. There were twelve tribes. There's a reason why we start with twelve tribes. Yaakov identified the kochos of each tribe. Every tribe does things a little bit differently. Look at the last page of Mesil Sisharim. The last page of Mesil Sisharim talks about. It. How a garbage man, this is what he says, a garbage man has the same schar in Olam Haba as a person who sits and learns all day long. That's what the Mesilas Yisharim on the last page says. Read the last page. If you don't read anything, just read it. There's, there's different ways of doing it. There's, there's people who are, I just, I just had this, just this week's parasha, just from Reb Salvechik. Uh, just, 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 uh, I, I teach from, from the, from the, from, uh, Rav Salvechik has the same idea from, from in this week's on Bayikra, where he's talking about how the poor person who, who brings a carbon that's a bird carbon, we got to move away from this if we're all separated. You know, everybody's equal now. This whole thing, we're all in our own houses. We're there, so we so there's no there's no better or worse now. We're all the same. We're all in the same. The same. Maybe, and I, I think so much Badad Yeshiv, the person who speaks Lash and Haraz, is supposed to be thrown out of the Machna. We're all alone because we're all supposed to stop judging each other. We're supposed to stop saying, I'm better than you, or my way is better than you. I just heard from Ephraim Waxman, he said, Rav Meir Parmishlan by a tish, he, would, he wouldn't sit down to the tish until he walked around the whole thing and, and, and would envision how every single person at the table is better than him. So one time there was such a, 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 a low-level peasant, he was having trouble figuring out how this peasant could be better than him. Then he, then he thought to himself and he said, you know, if I was this, such a low-level peasant, there's no way I would ever come to a tish run by my mayor Parmishlan. So you figure out even that person was better than him. We have to stop judging. We have to stop thinking we're better than people. Stop being scared of, of being who we want or who we think we're supposed to be. There's Shiv and Panam Latora. There's 12 tribes. That's what Parshish Vayichi is all about. And don't get caught up whether you should be a chassid, you should be a misnagid, you should be modern orthodox, you should be yeshivish. You should look inside you and figure out what is your shorish neshama. What do you? What do you? What resounds? What aspects and elements of Torah resound with you? With you most, and you should have the courage, like somebody like Rabbi Berg had, to say, if I was getting in a certain way, but maybe I have to look at something else to be to find my full shorish neshama. And, and I think we have to be much less judgmental and realize that Avas Yisrael. Obviously, sir, a loving of every Jew has to be paramount over these uh, petty differences. David, just before you move on to the next question, I have one small story to add. Obviously, I agree uh, with Rabbi Kamenetsky's words. Every single one of them resonates so deeply, and it's such an important message, especially at this time. I'll just share with you one of my one of my favorite stories is the Lubavitcher Rebbe had a birthday fabrengen. I believe it was when he turned 80 years old. And they invited Rav Soloveitchik to come to the birthday fabrengen. Of course, Rav Soloveitchik and the Lubavitcher Rebbe had been chavrusas back when they were in Berlin together. They knew each other when they were younger. And so there was this very long table where the Rebbe was sitting, and the, you know, the senior Hasidim were sitting behind the Rebbe. 
And they invited, they sent a limo for Rav Salavechik, and they invited Rav Salavechik to come sit next to the Lubavitcher Rebbe on the dais. And so Rav Salavechik refused. He felt that that wasn't Bekavadik for him to sit next to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, but he ended up sitting at the table, but all the way, all the way down at the end. You could see they have pictures of it. And so he was like maybe 20 feet away from the Rebbe, all the way at the end of the dais. And as Rav Salavechik was leaving, there was a reporter there, and the reporter asked Rav Salavechik, jokingly, he said, you know, it seems like finally the, the Gra and the Baal Shem Tov have made shalom with each other. After all, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was a scion, ultimately of the Balatanya, Talmud of the Magid, Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov, and the Salavechiks hail from Brisk, from Volazhin, ultimately from the Vilna Gain. So it seems like there's finally shalom between the Baal Shem Tov and the Vilna Gain. And Rav Salavechik responded reportedly, he said, no, they already made shalom when they were burned in the same crematoria in Auschwitz. And I think it's such an important lesson. Rabbi Isai, we think of each other as different. We look at Hasidim, Misnagdim, Modern Orthodox, Yeshivish, Haredi. We have all these labels for ourselves, and we're in different communities. First of all, it's, it's, it's Pashat that the Rabbi Shalom gets no nachas from this. There's no father in the world that gets nachas from their children being divided like that and, and talking about themselves as if they're in different communities. But second of all, the Gayim of the world, they don't look at us like that. They don't look at us and say, this one's modern Orthodox and this one's yeshivish. It's such a, it's such a tragedy that we look at ourselves that way. The Nazis, Yamach Shemam, they clarified this for us. And, and we should clarify it for ourselves. We should know these things. So I'll just finish off with one personal story. One of the things that frustrates me so, so, so much is I fly to America. Unfortunately, too often, I, I fly to America for, on behalf of the yeshiva, on behalf of NCSY, whatever I have going on. And so it frustrates me when people won't sit down and it's time for us to go and people won't sit down because they have hakpadas that they don't want to sit next to women. So it bothers me very much because I feel like it's a chil Hashem. We're wait, the whole plane is waiting. You know, sometimes we have to wait 15 minutes, half an hour, even 45 minutes. And we're sitting and we're waiting and it's annoying, it's frustrating. And so there was one time I was on a flight and I'm sitting in the middle aisle on the, uh, on the aisle seat and there are two... Uh, they, I don't know them personally, but they seem to identify with the more right-wing community. They were sitting in the middle. And then there was a conservative rabbi who was sitting on the far end. And in front of us, there were a couple of women that were seated. There were a couple of men that were seated. And ultimately, they gave up their seats so that these four right-wing people could sit in the seats in front of us. Of course, I was a little frustrated. I'm going to be honest. I was a little frustrated. Like, it took us 45 minutes now to take off. And I want, to, I want to be in America already. I want to go to Hertz. I want to get my rental car. I want to go to Minion. Whatever I have to do. And this conservative rabbi who was sitting in the far left, so he turned to the young man who was sitting in front of him. And he said, do you mind if I ask you a question? And he said, uh, he said, sure. And he said, can I ask you why you refuse to sit down? And so this young man explained, he was probably in his early 20s, that for him, this is his vision of the halacha. And he would rather pay a million dollars than violate the halacha. So this conservative rabbi said, would you be interested in hearing a response? It was a very respectful conversation. So the young man said, no, of course not. I would love to hear a response. So this conservative rabbi said, listen, we only have the Dalit Amos of halacha. And we all have to live within those Dalit Amos. And these women that you wouldn't sit next to, maybe they were insulted by what you just did. So this young man responded, and he said, yeah, but they're only insulted because they don't know the halacha. If they would know the halacha, they wouldn't be insulted. 
The conservative rabbi responded back, but nevertheless, they don't know the halacha, and you have to take that into account. Back and forth, back and forth. Fine. After a couple of minutes, the conversation ended. I was blown away. It was an absolutely respectful conversation. Because I'm not a person who keeps his mouth shut. So I turned to the conservative rabbi and I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? So he said, no, not at all. I said, why did you feel comfortable asking that young man why he did what he did? So the conservative rabbi was perplexed. He said, what do you mean, why did I feel comfortable? I said, if these were Amish people who refused to sit down next to women, would you have felt comfortable saying that? So this conservative rabbi was a very thoughtful man. And he said, no, I would not have felt comfortable. I said, so then the only reason that you felt comfortable is because you see these people as your brothers. And you're trying to reach out to them and say, as my brothers, I don't think this is the appropriate behavior. We ended up talking a long time over the course of the flight. It was a very beautiful flight. But I think that it was such a, it was such a, powerful, it was such a powerful plane ride because we see that sometimes even when Klai Yisrael is critical of each other, we're only critical of each other because we love each other and because of the ahava that we have for one another. And so I think especially in these times, ahava schinam is the order of the day. We, we need Beis HaMikdash now more than ever. We shouldn't just be davening to remove the illness. We should be davening for a period where there'll be no illness. And that's what Chazal tells us is going to happen in Yemosa Mashiach. And the only way to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash is with Avas Yisrael, Avas Chinam. We have to end this nonsense of these ridiculous separations of our community and value each other for what we bring to the table. And the fact that we all share one root soul, we're all a chelak al Well, thank you so much, Rebbeim. Um, so that, I think, uh, sums that up. Um, with the time we have left, um, we have a few more questions, just as far as Rebbeim's uh, view on, on uh, cell phones and smartphones, what's better for uh, religious Jew, what's better in general. Um, is it really possible to live without a smartphone? Uh, whichever Rev wants to take a stab at it first. Uh, I think Rev Kamenetsky wants to go first, maybe this time. No, it's Rev Berg. I think it's Rev Berg. Oh, it's Rev Berg's turn. Okay. Uh, Well, I think if we're going to have an honest conversation about the use of smartphones, then we need to have an honest conversation. And Baruch Hashem, we have, uh, it seems like we have over 300 people here. And I imagine that some of them are men. And I imagine that the, the young men would be, of course, if they weren't embarrassed, and, I, and I'm not saying that they should get up and say this publicly, but perhaps they would share with you some of the challenges of modern technology. And we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't put our head in the sand and pretend that those challenges don't exist. Uh, I'm not just talking about inappropriate behaviors, but I'm also talking about just them wasting time. Uh, there's a couple of young men in yeshiva this year that took it upon themselves to relieve themselves of their smartphone. They said, why do I need it while I'm here during my time, during my years in Israel? And it changed their year. And they would be the first ones to tell you that. They said, yeah, it really, it really changed my year. I was able to focus in a whole new way. My wife and I, we often talk about the fact that when we were in Eretz Yisrael, can I, wow, it's been so long already, but over 20 years ago, we didn't have cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone. I remember my Shana Bet, people got cell phones, and the schmooze that they gave was there was a game called Snake. And Snake was managed like a little, like it was a little thing that went around, and you had to like, like eat a little dot. And I remember the Rebbeim in Yeshiva giving a schmooze about the Nachash HaKadmaini, wasting time with Snake. And if, if our Rebbeim would have only known what was coming, I don't know if they would have been giving schmoozing about the Nachash HaKadmoni. It was far worse than we ever could have imagined. 
So say in terms of the inappropriate behaviors that a person could engage in, and also in terms of the wasting time, there's no doubt that modern technology has had a negative impact on our community. And yet, we would also be very foolish to not point out that many of us are on smartphones right now. I happen not to be, uh, but I see that my daughter is on my wife's smartphone, and I see that David is on a smartphone. And uh, Baruch Hashem, so many of us are using modern technology in a positive way. And so I think it's a mistake when we speak about modern technology to speak about it in black and white terms. I think, uh, like the Balatanya says, there are things that are shlosh klipos atmeos, things that cannot be used for godly purposes. There are things that are mitzvos. And then there's something called klipas noga, which basically means everything in between. These are things that are mutter, and we have to use them in the appropriate way. So if we are not aware of what modern technology's dangers are, I think we're being foolish, I think we're sticking our head in the sand, and I think it's bad to not pay attention to the dangers. At the same time, if our attitude is going to be that this is 100% us there, so then how would we be on this phone call right now? Like anything in the world, we have to pay attention to the reality, we have to use it in the appropriate fashion. I will share with you that there was a young man in yeshiva this year who came to talk to me, about the following scenario. He bar Hashem steig the welt in yeshiva, and he really did great. And he came to me to say, Rebbe, I need to tell my parents some of the things that I had fallen into because I had a smartphone. I said, why do you need to tell your parents? I'm not saying you shouldn't tell your parents. I'm just, he was so curious. Like, he was so like, I need to tell my parents. I said, why do you need to tell your parents? He said, because I have a brother who's in eighth grade, and my parents, they're not aware of the dangers. And because they're not aware of the dangers, they're going to make the same mistakes. And so I'm coming to discuss how I could find the courage to have an honest conversation about the dangers of modern technology with my parents because unfortunately they're not aware. There was a, a Rebbe who's a 12th grade Rebbe in one of the yeshivas in America and he shared with me that he did a poll in the class, uh, totally anonymous. And the poll asked certain very specific questions about their usage of modern technology. And lo aleinu, many of them were using modern technology inappropriately. And so this 12th grade Rebbe decided by parent-teacher conferences to get up and to share the statistics with the parent body. And 95% of them had said that they were using modern technology inappropriately. And 50% of the parents on their way out of that meeting said to this Rebbe, Baruch Hashem, it's not my son. And the Rebbe was astounded. How could it be that 50% of you said that you don't have a problem when the boys are reporting that 95% of them are finding this to be a challenge? So it's important that we not stick our head in the sands. And I'll share with you something else. I'll let Rabbi Kamenetsky speak about this more. Perhaps he can elaborate on the policies of DRS. But I will share with you that when I went to DRS this year, the boys themselves, in their bechinas, in their interviews, were sharing with me that the new technology policy that they have in DRS, the fact that they don't have smartphones in the building, it's changed their lives. We in Mevasera, we have a, uh, a no phone to you. And it's a, it's a great to you. Of course, when we announce it, like 80% of the guys are like, yeah, it's fine, whatever, it's okay, I can go 48 hours without my phone. But 20% of the guys are push it like, it's the end of the world. And Rabbi, why are you taking away my music? And after the tiyul, kemat pe'echad, every one of them says it's amazing. You get on the bus, and the boys are talking to each other. They're not just plugged into those giant headphones or the, ear, the AirPods that they have. And there's, there's, a, real, there's a real noise. When, when I was young, going on RivLab buses back in the five towns, when we would get broken down on the Van Wick every single time we went to Shea Stadium. So 
I remember you ran to be on the back of the bus. Why? Because you wanted to sit with your friends, you wanted to schmooze, you wanted to talk. The buses were loud, the buses were gishmak. And today, people get on their phones and they're just sitting there, they're texting the person right next to them. Like, it's mitzmamish insane. So we have to pay attention, we have to recognize these are things that could be used to spread Torah. These are things that could be used to reach out to people. Today, Baruch Hashem, we have the opportunity to reach out across the world. There's a Talmidah who, unfortunately, her father has corona. Because of modern technology, I'm able to reach out and check in, see how she's doing. So these are amazing opportunities, but they have to be used to bring nachas to their banishon. Okay, as Rav Berg mentioned, so you know, more than half, half the people on the, on the phone are, are, are women and on the pornography angle of this, you really, I don't think you could really talk to boys and girls the same way on this issue. So I'm going to just totally disregard that part of the question. Rav Berg uh, alluded to it. Uh, you know, everybody here knows, knows um, uh, as much, as, you know, more, better than me. But I know also um, about, about the, the dangers of, of pornography. I'm going to leave that out of the conversation. I'll just, I'll just leave it with, you know, with, with, with what's the same thing with all issues of, of those types of these sort what the Gemara says, Ain't Apotropos Laraios. Gemara says that, you know, you can never trust yourself when it comes to those things, but that's not, that's not, this is not, I don't think, the venue or the place to discuss that. What I want to talk about is, is something that one might even be able to argue, and some say it's even more insidious, insidious than that. It's even more dangerous than that. And that, that's, that's what Berg also alluded to about we made a change in yeshiva this year. And this applies equally to boys or girls, maybe even more to girls. Not more to girls. It applies to, to both boys and girls uh, the same amount. And, and that is the cell phone addiction that we are witnessing, and which is not necessarily connected to pornography, even not, you know, even being all day long on Instagram or all day long on on uh, whatever you're on or even just being... Uh, and, I, and I have the problem also. By the way, I'm not, I'm not immune from this problem also. I am way too addicted to responding to my emails on on on, um, on the on the on the cell phone. Um, <coughs> um, as Berg very beautifully mentioned, um, we we instituted a policy this year where you're not allowed to have your cell phone out in school at all. And I will tell you that I was not in favor of this policy at the beginning. I was I was a little bit you know I thought it was going to be too much for the guys to. As it is, we're trying to make this uh, this pitch in yeshiva that about learning and Torah. We're trying to get the kids to raise a certain raise themselves. Well, I just felt like taking away this joy for them. Like, obviously, during class, I understood it's not right during class, but like in between periods. So you know, give them something. Their their mom is going to school all day long. They're learning. They got secular studies. They got a lot of work. It's a ch- It's hard. What do we? You know, we're just giving them another thing to be upset about. And then to their credit, I want to mention two people. Two. Two situations that changed on the ground. The first is Cam Morasha. They have you have to you have to remember them. Latov. Cam Morasha did something that nobody thought was able to be done. No one, no one thought it could be done. They made a public statement. We're going no phones, no phones. Everyone said, "Whoa, whoa! What a courageous move um, by them." Uh, and 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 once they said it could be done, so I said, "You know what? If they if, it, if they could do it, then we could do it too." And then the second thing happened, which was. We had a freshman parent um, orientation, and freshman parents. These now we already have young enough parents that know exactly what we're talking about. And we took a poll of the freshman parents, and 95% of the freshman parents agreed that we should take away the phones. And we did a poll of the whole school, and to their credit, um, I think it was 80% of every parent in the school 
agreed that to the policy. We also polled the kids. wasn't quite the same. Uh, wasn't quite the same. Uh, um, um, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, we polled last year's outgoing seniors, and seventy-five percent of the outgoing seniors last year. So when the kids want to know who to blame it on, you can blame it on the outgoing seniors. But seventy percent, seventy-five percent of the outgoing seniors voted. And we should take away the phones. Yeah, easy for them to say they're already out of it. But what's happened in yeshiva is pretty much unbelievably, all of a sudden we saw kids talking to each other again. We saw spike ball came back. People are actually interacting. Um, people, are, we, people are doing all these kinds. It's been so amazingly positive. And, and so one kid, one kid, one of the, one of the, I don't want to, one of the kids in yeshiva, one of the more colorful kids in our yeshiva um got his phone got his phone taken away for a week the rulers on the first time it's, it's away for a week and he came to me at the end of the week he says rabbi i want to tell you something this week was the most productive week of my life i learned how to play piano on the internet this week i learned i did better on my quizzes and my tests this week because i had no distractions i he said and you should he, this is what he told me he said you should know every 90 of the kids in the school know even though they'll complain and whine about it They'll tell you that it's actually, they realize it's in their own best interest, that they're not glued. Every time you walk out of class, what was the latest thing that was posted? What was the latest thing? I have to keep up. We're getting, our lives are totally taken over. We don't realize. When you learn Torah, when you learn Torah, you got to take the phone and put it, shut it off and put it away. It's not enough that it's on mute in front of you. You're still looking. It's got to be out of the room. It's got to be out of the room. Otherwise, you can't focus on a tosis. You can't, you can't learn. You can't focus on anything. You can't be in a sheer if you're checking every few seconds, probably in the middle of this thing, at least half, three quarters of the people are checking their phones every two seconds while even I'm talking. How are you supposed to focus? To go through a tosis, to go through a tosis, to, to learn something deeply, to connect to Hashem on a deep level, it requires concentration. They did studies now that people have less, less uh, time, uh, less attention span than a goldfish. A goldfish has nine second attention span. People are now down to eight seconds of attention span. We don't realize what this is doing. And again, I'm just as guilty. I'm not trying to give musr. I'm just as guilty as everybody. We need to put it away. You need to have downtime. When you're at dinner table with the family, it should all be away. When you go out to dinner with your families, it should be a rule of families. Put all the phones in the middle. Don't touch them. Just talk to the people. Connections, that's what we're all separate now because we're having terrible connections. And I really feel like, honestly, and I, I, I wouldn't have the guts to say this, but Chaim Kanievsky said it, so I could say it too. What does it say about why do you get badad yeshi? What's the punishment? For the sins of the mouth, for the sins that we're not being because because on the WhatsApp groups, we're just piling on and just just ranking and ranking and ranking on the groups and we're just sitting there we're ready to rank on somebody else and rank and rank and rank and, and this one texts and, and, and on all these chats. The chats are destroying people. We're destroying schools. We're destroying uh, yeshivas. We're destroying other kids. We're destroying other kids on the chats. So we gotta we got to dial it back. I agree with Rav Burr. When I, I'm not saying chuck away the phone, but everything in moderation. Being a Jew means understanding things in moderation. There's a time and there's an appropriate way and don't pile on the chats and don't offer your opinions of being critical and, and criticizing people on the chats. We need downtime. It's The addiction is the worst thing ever. To my mind, it's more dangerous and more pernicious than the pornography. Certainly it affects girls as much as it affects boys, if not more. So we need to have in moderation, we need to have down times, dinner times, connection times. It can help connection, but you have to make sure that you have, you have your hours away from it. And I wouldn't just say that the questions are easier than the answers. I don't have any great solutions, but there needs to be some downtime. Thank you.
Um, I'm not sure how much time we have left, but uh, I know we definitely have time for another question, um, which is um, somebody wanted to know. This is more of the, uh, I think could be a more controversial question. So hold on, everybody. Um, is it better um, for a mother to work and come back to her kids after she's made money to support her family financially, or is it better to be a stay-at-home mother and make sure that there's kadusha always in the house and there's always, you know, or find a balance? What do uh, what does Rebbe think? I think Shav Kamenetsky. Okay, so so um. First of all, I want to really commend the person for asking the question. I want to commend the person who asked the question. And to my mind, in this case, the question is much better than the answer. What, 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 what do I mean by that? Um, that um, and by the way, this is not just for, this is not just for girls. And, and it has to do with you know what 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 the advice um, you know any advice. And I would say like this. I, I'll I'll answer I'll answer the question with the following story. Um, when Rev, when, uh, when Rev Itzala Mi Peterberg was a student of Rev Yisrael Salanter, um, so Yisrael Salanter asked him, he wanted him to become the rabbi of the town of Petersburg, St. Petersburg, that's why they called him Rev Itzala Mi Peterberg. You, so, so, so he, he, he called up his town and he said, I think you should be the rabbi. So Rev Itzala said to Rev Yisrael Salanter, Rebbe, I'm, I'm a nothing, I'm a lowly person, I don't know anything, how am I going to be the rabbi? There's so many Jews there, they have so many questions, how am I going to be the rabbi? I can't do it. So Rabbi Yisrael said to him, do you think I would want somebody who wasn't scared to do it? If you're scared about it, then that means you're the right person to do it. If you're worried about it, if you're worried that you don't feel like you have the kachas to do it, that means you're the right person. That means you're going to tread, you're going to tread carefully. You're going to, you're going to think about things before you do. You know that it's a big decision. You know that it's not so simple. You're going to take it seriously and you're going to work hard and you're going to make sure to give the right answers to people. So that's the way I feel about this question. I, I feel about someone who's actually concerned about this question, should I work or should I be a stay-at-home mother, is going to be great when they work and is going to be great as a stay-at-home mother. You're going to be great at both things because you're going to realize the benefits in both. You're going to realize that there's, there's benefits in both and you're going, to, you're going to think and think and think and make the right decision until you come out with what's the right balance for you about this issue. Now, I will say, and again, you know, I, I'm sometimes too honest about these things, but, you know, my daughter, uh, my daughter is, 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 is killing herself through graduate school right now because she's married to a Talmud Chacham. And she wants that Talmud Chacham to be able to, to, um, to uh, learn and to fill himself up with Torah and, uh, and, and to, to be someone who's going to be a Marbitz Torah and who's going to be a Lomi Torah. And she's, she has three children and she's, uh, she's putting herself through online graduate school and, um, and I would say, and she gives a lot of time to her kids, and, and her kids are not lacking. Um, there's no one answer, like in a lot of these questions, there's no one answer for people. I have great respect to the women who feel like they want to be the primary person raising their kids. And I have great respect for the women who want to go work so they can help support the family. I don't think these two things have to be in conflict. I think that it depends on your own personal shorish neshama, what you think is best for yourself. Um, traditionally, uh, the men have been the primary breadwinners and the women are supposed to be more traditionally in more traditional homes. The women stay at home and raise the children. Um, I think in the modern world, um, it's become much, much more acceptable for both families. And a lot of times to Parnassi, you need both the husbands and the wives um, um, working in order to support a family in a lot of cases, especially where the husband's in Chinuch or in learning or something like that. For sure, you need 
the wife to have a parnasa that's bringing money. And I understand the wives being feel challenged about that. Who's going to raise my kids if I got to go be working? So I say again that if you're worried about this and you're sensitive to this, you carve out the time for your kids and you make sure that the influences on your kids are the right influences. And if you're worried about that, then Hashem is going to give you siyat to dishmaya and your kids are going to be raised in the right way. And um, I think my daughter, you know, my, my mother comes and watches the kids sometimes and uh, she loves it. That's, that's not my mother doing a favor to my daughter. It's actually my daughter doing a favor to my mother. Uh, that my mother comes to watch the kids, so it's not it's not the it's not the non-Jewish uh, babysitter who's always watching the kids. Uh, she tries to find uh, from people to watch the kids so that she can uh, prepare for the parnasa, so she can bring it into the family. And but yeah, that influence is definitely a good question. I don't have a good answer to it. Just to say that if you think about the question and work hard at it and try to play both sides of it and do the best that you can to provide income uh, for the family at the same time. I mean, I think. Best would be if, if you, the wife doesn't have to work and the husband can make enough money to support both of them and the wife can raise the kids. That would be the best thing. I just don't know how realistic realistic that is. Um, and, and again, I, and if a woman feels that she wants to have a career, I have nothing against that either. I mean, that's, that's fine. Um, but uh, so, so I think both are true and you have to consult with your personal mentor about what's best for your particular situation. Yeah, I, I would only add, um, I think Rabbi Kamenetsky Shlita already um, handled the practical part of the question, which is, I think today most people need to have a dual income, especially if they're living in America with, you know, the challenges of you know, having a mortgage, having cars, insurance, yeshiva tuition, and so on and so forth. I think for most people, uh, we need to have a dual income. In Eretz Yisrael, it's a little bit different um, I know that uh, there are some parents on the phone on this call, and I'm, I may upset them by saying this, but uh, I pay 70 shekel a month for my daughter's tuition. And Kanaina uh, Har, I have five daughters, which means that I will pay less for their entire tuition from nursery all the way through 12th grade than some of you will pay for one year of high school. So we, we do, Baruch Hashem, live with a little bit less here in Eretz Yisrael, and as a result... Uh, my wife, who does work, but she works from the house and only in hours that really work for her, she's able to do that because we do live with significantly less. I, I do want to add what I feel is one important nakuda, and this comes from speaking to a lot of women over the years. Um, Baruch Hashem, today, uh, education for women is so strong, and the girls are learning so much, and they're brilliant. They're mamish brilliant. And for, for some of them, perhaps even for many of them, they feel stifled by the fact that they can't use the talents that they've cultivated over the course of their educational careers. Now, I want to be clear. This does not mean to say that these women don't want to be mothers and that, that they don't want to spend time with their children. Of course they do. And there's no one like a mother. I could be a great father, but there's no one like a mother. A mother is so critical when it comes to raising, raising the children. And yet, they're also expressing to me, and I feel their pain. They're saying, I have these talents, and I feel like not using these talents, it, it's, a, it's almost like I'm, I'm wasting myself. Now, if, if we would have raised these children in Europe, you know, 100 years ago, they never would have cultivated these talents, so perhaps it was more natural for them. But today, these, these women are getting, Baruch Hashem, such an amazing education and so many extracurricular activities. And then they're going and getting a great college education and they want to use it. And I totally understand that. I think like Rabbi Kamenetsky said, it's a balance. But 
The only thing I would caution is as follows. If you are someone that feels that you have something to contribute and you feel like you're stifling that in order to raise your children, I would be concerned for the long-term impact of that decision. In other words, if you're okay with saying, look, I have these talents, but the thing I want to do is be home, I, I'm with you, that's amazing. But if you feel like you're mamish, like amputating a part of yourself, I can't imagine that long-term you're going to be a satisfied mother. I can't imagine that that's going to result in having shalom bias in the home. And so I would encourage you to find ways to express those talents. And again, it happens to be that, that my wife, Bar Hashem, is a brilliant woman, and she was offered a full fellowship to go to college. A scholarship is where you have money off. A fellowship is where they pay you. And my wife said, I don't really want to go to college. I don't really feel like I need it. She taught herself actuarial mathematics. She became an actuary. She went out to work for AIG. And then after a year, she was like, I don't really want to do this. This is not what I want to do with my life. She wanted to spend more time at home with the kids. And so she made that decision. I supported her either way. I think that to, to tell a woman today that the talents that she has have to be stifled in order to be a mother is probably not going to be a good idea. But of course, of course, of course, if the more time that a mother spends at home with her children, the children are just going to be more simchadik. The house is going to be a totally different home. A father just cannot contribute the same things as a mother, in my opinion. Okay, I'm not sure how much time we have left. We're getting a little cut for time. It's already 2 o'clock. But um, I feel like that's why I want to combine the last two questions into one final question, if it's possible, um, which is, how can one stay sane during these challenging times and maintain Amunah and Hashem? And then from Rebbe's life experiences, what is the greatest piece of advice that Rebbe can give someone, just as a closing, a parting statement for... Uh, for this uh, Q and A, I'll go first, just just so that I could let Rabbi Kamenetsky finish, because I think it's uh, I think it's going to be more powerful if Rabbi Kamenetsky finishes, and I'll give a very brief answer. I think that um, in terms of what we can do to stay sane, we can let go and let God. We are not in control, and sitting there with all this anxiety of what's going to be and what's going to happen. I think this is a great opportunity for us to really put the amuna that we've learned about our entire lives into practice. And we can make it real. And that means being besimcha, recognizing that we're exactly where we're supposed to be. The Rabbanu Shalom had a better plan for us than the one we had for ourselves. I think also it's important, as much as we're doing that, to really focus on being imo anochi b'tzara. People are mamish suffering. And there's been so many schmoozing about how we could use this time for growth. And that's wonderful. That's great. That's how a Jew behaves. When, when a Jew is in a tough position, we think about, okay, why are we in this tough position? How can we grow from this? How can we gain from this? But at the same time, if we're not noseh ba'olam chaveiro, if we're not experiencing the pain of our fellow yidden, so then something is off. And that's what my Rosh Hashiva Rabbi Bender Shlita, my, my elementary school, Rosh Shiva, used to tell us all the time, you have to be emo anochi b'tzar, you have to feel the pain of your friends. And I think that's the way we stay sane. This is the Rebbeinu Shalom's will. We're being mevatel ourselves to the Ebeshter's will. And now let's reach out to those people that are suffering and be with them in their pain. In terms of something that I've learned over the course of my life that I could share with you that will be meaningful, um, I can only tell you that life is a process. 
I, I wish I could tell you that when I was in my young 20s, I, I, I thought I had it figured out. I really did. I, it's hard to believe that I really thought I had it figured out then, but I thought I did. I thought I had a path. And here I am, and it's, it's 20 years later, and I, the path that I thought I was on is a totally different path. Cut yourself some slack. Allow yourself to be in process. Allow yourself to change. Allow yourself to grow. Allow yourself to experience the growth of others and the change of others. Because people will not necessarily be the people that you thought they were. Uh, my wife and I, we've been on a journey together, Baruch Hashem, for about 18 years now. And I think the people that we were when we first got married is fundamentally different than the people that we are now. So enjoy the process. Allow yourself to change. Allow yourself to grow. Because the journey is mamish a beautiful, it's a beautiful ride. In terms of the issue of Amuna. I pretty much have the same thoughts as uh, as Rav Berg. Um, the only thing I would add, which is not really adding, it's just restating really what he said. Um, uh, one of the individuals who has inspired me in terms of his amun is one of my Talmidim, Rabbi Josh Grajauer. Um and some some of you may have seen um, what he what he wrote on on Twitter. Uh, recently, uh, in his connection, he had, he had nine points to make. I'm not going to go over all of his nine points, but I'm just going to say, um, you know, he, he almost throws it in as an aside. You know, he said uh, he said that, um, you know, he, he sees that so many people are having trouble dealing with this situation because they've never had their lives turned upside down um, in this way before. And it's true. And I want to be clear. I don't want to. I'm not. I don't want my words to minimize. The fear, the uncertainty, and, and I want to validate that, and I get it, and I don't, I don't forgive anybody on this call. I, I don't. That's Yiddish word. It, it's, I understand it. Um, I'm just as concerned and nervous as the next person is. Um, by nature, I am a very nervous kind of a person, um, so I get it, and that's fine, and that's okay. There's a beautiful Abarbanel on the words Vayira Yaakov Maod Vayetzelo. That Abarbanel says Yaakov Avinu was scared of Esav. How can he be scared? So Barbanel says, being scared is not a contradiction to having Amuna. It's not a contradiction. It's a normal human, it's a normal human um, emotion. It's normally when a lion comes at you, you're gonna be scared. Gonna say, I'm have Amuna. Is a lion coming to eat me? No, I have Amuna, no problem. It's no problem. That's not human. That's not normal. That, that's kind of like Mashalamadovadoma, like the Gemara says, when a bad thing happens, you're supposed to say Baruch Dayana Emes. When a good thing happens, you say Baruch Hatova Metiv. That's a good call. What do you mean? Say your close relative just dies. Maybe you should say, Baruch HaTov It's all good. It's all for the good. No, HaKadosh Baruch understands that we're human beings. It's right. It's all for the good. It's right. It's all for the good. But you still make a different bracha. It's not exactly the same bracha. HaKadosh Baruch understands. You just lost somebody. You're going to be in pain. You say, Dayan Emes. It's, it's okay. The Babanel says a similar word on, on fear. We're scared of the unknown. It's normal to be scared. And it's okay to be scared. And when things like this happen, it's normal. It's totally normal. Anyway, Rai Grajauer writes over there in, on the tweet as an aside. He says he, you know, he understands that uh, that um, that you know, most people have never gone through experience have their 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 complete their life completely turned upside down. So he writes there in parentheses, well, you know, I Baruch Hashem have already had that. So 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 to me, it's it, it's not you know to me it's not so you know unfortunately Rai Grajauer experienced a terrible tragedy uh, with the with the loss of his of his young wife. He has three kids and he. And after a long battle with a terrible illness, he lost his wife. And I will never forget, as long as I live, the first words that he said at the funeral of his wife. 
Um, these were words of introduction. He said these were words of introduction. Uh, and he said, um, we have to always remember that the Rabboni Shalom does not work for us. We work for the Rabboni Shalom. Um, the Rabboni Shalom does not have to answer to us as to why he does what he does. He doesn't have to explain himself to us. Uh, we, we work for the Rabboni Shalom and we, we receive, we accept. We've accepted a lot of good that the Rabboni Shalom did to us and we also accept that, that which doesn't look like good and we, it looks like very bad. And Klai Yisrael has had many, many, many tsars in its history. Klai Yisrael had a Holocaust. Um, Klai Yisrael has had a lot of pain and suffering. There have been a lot of terror attacks that have taken away young people. And there's a lot of things in this world that uh, don't make sense to us, that, that don't make sense to us. And, and if, if we would be the rebel, should we make sense? We have to simply have a munabshuta. We have to have simple trust and faith in Hashem, just like when a parent... Um, when a parent chastises a child, a lot of times the child doesn't understand it. But, uh, you know, how do we maintain Amuna? It's very difficult. I, I don't mean to say that it's easy. Um, but uh, we have our, our, our Rabbeim and our, our, our role models, our Tamir Chachamim, and, and, um, and, and, and our, our inspirations who, who are models of Amuna. And like I said, for me, it comes from one of my Talmidim who, uh, you know, aside from, 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 from the other, from all the other all the other um, oh, um, words that we have. And just in terms of one piece of advice, I'm going to cheat a little bit and, uh, and give two pieces of advice. But one of them I already, one of them I already sort of said already four or five times through my words. But my main piece of advice, if I can give one piece of advice, it, it would be that any time a person, and I totally agree with what Berg said, very, very beautiful, life is a process, I agree. The only other thing I would add would be any time in life that you have a, a decision to make, that you have an act to take. Should I do this or should I not do this? You should ask yourself one simple, which is not so simple. One simple question. What does the Rabboni Shalom want from me in this scenario? What does Hashem want from me? Now, it's not always easy to know what Hashem wants to you. And for that, that's why I'm going to take the liberty of adding one other piece of advice. And that is what we started with, which is Asei L'charav. And that is that my other piece of advice, I said to you that one of the reasons I believe that I was blessed in my life, whatever little bit I've been, I've been able to do really has nothing to do with my own merits. It's the fact that I was, have merited having a Rebbe. That anytime I've had major life decisions in my life, I don't even take responsibility. I just ask, I ask my Rebbe. I ask my Rebbe. I've had, I've had tremendous blessing to be blessed with a Rebbe who gives, who helps you answer that question. So the question they have to ask yourself is, what does Hashem want? But it's not always easy to know what Hashem wants. So it's great to have, that's what the Mishnah says, tells you, say and have events like this, and have, but not just events like this, everyone should have their own, their own person that they can go to, their own go-to person that they can go to for inspiration, for, for halachic guidance, for, for advice, for things of that nature. And I think that if we have that lifeline, that tala bi'ilani ravrave, like the Gemara says, I can't tell you the strength of Ramon I'll just close with this one story, one story. I was, I think, 22 or 23, 24. I don't remember. I was in, just out of college. I was young, a young rabbi. I didn't know anything. I knew, I knew less than not knowing anything. So one, another kid, another guy in YU, another, a younger guy, a guy who was maybe, I don't know, four or five years younger than me. So he came to ask me like a, a really, really difficult question, a really, a really miserably difficult question, like a, a hard question he came to ask me, an advice question. And I said to him, why are you coming to me to ask questions, Rabbi? Willard's room is right down the hallway. I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm 23 years old. I can't answer this question. It's way too hard for me. He says, no, I can't, I can't go to Rabbi Willard. If you want to go, you can go to Rabbi Willard. You ask him. So I went down the hallway. It was, it was this, this question was asked to me in the third floor base manager. Those were the first hall, the old third floor base manager. 
and I and Rabbi Willard's room was 317. It was right down the hallway. So I said, okay, yes, uh, good. I'll, so I'll go. I down, went down the hall, asked Rabbi Willard the question. Rabbi Willard said to me, I'm not answering the question. I want you to answer the question. I want you to go back and answer the question. I said, Rabbi, I, I, I don't, I, this is two ways. I want you to ask the question. That, that was probably the single biggest, you know, a, a, a moment of change. Not that I really feel like I have the answers, but, but there's many different people. There's, there's so many different people out there that, that could be helpful. You never know where you're going to get the, the aids are from, where you're going to get the advice from. You know, we know who our Abayim are, who the people who are close to us, who the people, and they're not going to be perfect. They're not going to always give you the exact correct advice, but at least you'll have somebody to answer the, those life questions. You'll have somebody to go to to answer those, those, life's, those life's questions. And Amir Hashem, we should all be zochet to strengthen our amun in this time, to, that when we have time alone to think, to be with ourselves, to think about what's really important in life, um, it's a special, unique opportunity. And hopefully, Klai Yisrael will, will use this time to think and to grow and to become better in all these areas. And hopefully, Hashem will deliver us with Mashiach Tzidkenu in this month of Nisan, Benisan Asid Nuligal. And even if He does not decide to deliver us with Mashiach, we will still grow. We don't merit it. We will still use this opportunity to grow and develop so that we'll get that much closer so that ultimately we'll be Zoha to merit that Ula. Thank you again to David and to Shlomo and to Rav Berg for putting this together. Really appreciate it. And best Hashem, we should have many more opportunities to get together. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Amen. Rabbeim. Thank you for everyone for joining. Thank you to our sponsors, to Shlomo Vershi for uh, allowing us to use Kolator Kula's platform to spread this. Uh, amazing question and answer. We had hundreds of participants. It was really, it was really awesome to see everyone here. And thank you, Rabam, for your time.